0: God bless. Well, let's get started. Let's pray, and then we'll start in Revelation chapter 9. Lord, may our hearts be stilled right now from all the busyness and concerns of this day and allow you to speak into our lives through this chapter of this book, Pray, Lord, that it would be helpful to us in some way. Uh, you would give us insight into uh, how you work and not only in what you're doing in this chapter, but what you've done throughout history and what you're doing in our lives and will continue to do. Pray, God, that our time here would be helpful in our lives and our relationships with you and with others around you. Thank you again for your blessings, your goodness, and your mercies, Lord, that are patient and long-suffering and enduring forever. We are grateful, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Revelation chapter 9, we're continuing with the trumpets. Remember, we had seven seals, and now we have seven trumpets. And as I said I don't remember which time, a few weeks back, I think. We shouldn't think of these things so much in a chronological order but in a layering where these things are kind of on top of each other and they're meant to give us more of a picture, not just, oh, this happens and this happens and this happens. But these are things that are taking place or John is revealing uh, things that would be helpful to the church at that time to understand a little bit more, to give them a little bit more of a, I don't know, a vision of how God might be working in the midst of all that they were going through and all that was going to be taking place. Again, we need to remember that he is preparing them from, for tremendous persecution that is going to be taking place. And with that is coming the questions that always arise when there's persecution. And so the opening of the seals and now the trumpets that are are blasting and there's been a few pauses, we're trying to understand what what is going on and um, it continues to get a little bit more frightening. (laughs) So let's start in verse 1 and we'll read verses 1 through 12 right now. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will ask death, but will not find it, will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like a thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. That is destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. Yeah, there's that. When I was in high school, my friends and I went to go see Alien, the first and original Alien. And I remember... There was, I think, four or five of us. We were sitting in a row, and we went there, and I don't know how far in the movie. This is after some of the scenes that have been shocking took place. I can remember looking over, and all of us were crouched down in our seat, just (laughs) barely looking over the seats ahead of us because there was suspense, and what's going to happen? When is this alien creature going to pop out of something or somewhere again and what's going to take place. And there was that just waiting for the shoe to drop, right? It's just like, oh, my gosh, this is, I hadn't seen a movie like this. And it was just seemed to be escalating and getting worse and worse and worse. And what we have here is this kind of scene where you're just waiting. You know, there's dark, but you know something is in the dark. And, and of course, there's like the, uh, electrical shorts that you see flashes and then in one of the flash you see a silhouette of something and then it's gone and you're wondering what was that and when is it coming back and you hear noises and all this kind of spine tingling suspenseful waiting is there in that movie and that's really what's happening here we've got this suspense and the imagination of the destruction that is going to take place is really what we are dealing with here, right? It is meant to be suspenseful. Remember, they didn't have the movies like we do. And so everything is in story form. And the illustrations are meant to be horrific because it provokes that imagination of, What are the horrors of those who are in rebellion to God? What does that look like? What does that take shape like and how will it culminate? More description is given to these locusts than to any other creature found in this book. And so because of that, because it is so descriptive, it has resulted in all kinds of speculations. And I know you've heard of them, some of them. Oh, the locusts, well, these could be like helicopters, right? Um, Because they have the, the face, you know, and you can see a human face in a helicopter and the sound of thunder, you know, of horses that the helicopters make. And so, again, our imaginations go to these things and imagining these kinds of things. But then you've got the other things like the, you know, torture for five months and then the tails, that of a scorpion that stings for five months. And so some of them fit. Some of them, yeah, you kind of don't focus on those and just focus on the ones that fit. But it starts with a star falling, right? Right? from the sky to earth which again this is something he had mentioned before and again it has images of Isaiah chapter 14 how have you fallen from heaven morning star son of the dawn right talking about how there is those who have tried to make their way that we uh, have con- attributed to satan um, which also could be attributed to the kings that have asserted themselves to be over the people and taking a, a role like God and how they have fallen, have tried to assert themselves, ascend above you know, the clouds, make themselves like the most high, but they're brought down to the realm of the dead in the depths of the pit. So there's that picture. There's the picture that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 when the disciples went out and shared the gospel with the people and he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so all these images are that of, you know, this striver against God, these who assert themselves against God falling to the earth. And the idea of evil being fallen, fallen from the presence of God, fallen from the character of God, fallen from who God is, and in a sense, in contrast, God who we see or think of as in the heavens, and here is this star fallen to the earth. And all these things are... There to be in contrast, right? Here is an abyss. And and again, from the pit as opposed to the heavens. Again, it's figurative. There's no hole somewhere that's going to be where, you know, these creatures and smoke and locusts are going to come from. But it is this anti-creation, right? Genesis, we see the creation of all these things. And it was good And how God had did these amazing things, and now we're seeing, in a sense, the destroying of the creation. We're seeing the anti-creation taking place. And all these things that are coming from the pit, this darkness that is coming from the pit, it is more than just creatures. It is what these creatures represent. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus speaks of all the ways that wickedness takes place, right? There's sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, slander, pride. They all come from the human heart and there's a darkness inside and this is the darkness that is now being released. The darkness that is in humanity is now being seen and described And we are getting these pictures that, again, are horrific. We were created to reflect the image of God, created for him and to care for the creation he made. And now we see the destruction of that creation, the destruction of that image, and it's, again, awful. And I believe that that's what John is trying to uncover here. I think these images are trying to help us see what happens when humanity no longer bears the image of God, when we allow the darkness and the evil that is within us to grow into fruition and to take place. The monsters, the locusts, They may be, in a sense, in parallel to the plagues in the locusts of Egypt or uh, the army of locusts in the book of Joel. There are those parallels that take place, but these are man-torturing locusts, right? They have some kind of armor that makes them impregnable and just the monsters are to act under certain instructions and limitations, They can't destroy anything green, which is what locusts usually do, and they can only destroy or cause harm, torture to people, and only the people who are not marked or sealed with the mark of God. And so these locusts come up under the cover of dark, they They fill the air like smoke, again, an echo of Exodus in Exodus 9, verses 8 and 9, when Moses tosses dust up from the furnace into the air, and it turns into boils that emerges from the pit. And then we see from the pit the name Abaddon or Apollyon, which means destruction, right? Destroyer, destruction, all indicating well enough this anti-creation, this... uh, enemy of God the locust mission though it's not simply instant destruction it would seem to be too kind for it to be just sudden destruction it it is lingering it it is torturous to torture people until they long to die but they're unable to die in verse six what's the point of this why is there torture but not death? Why is there supposed to be this pain that is lingering? Well, what was the point of the plagues of Egypt? What was the point of all those different plagues that caused so much just torment to the people? Why were they there? What was the point of all those things? Um, the point was to repent, right? The point was so that Pharaoh and the people would change their attitude and mind towards the people of Israel. And I think that's important. We we assume that the aim here is to challenge the inhabitants of the earth to repent, to challenge those people who are in this anti creation, state of mind, and life to change their way, to turn, the point eventually emerges in verse 20 and 21, which functions somewhat like the comments in Exodus about Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then finally God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Eventually, the writer declares that God himself hardens that heart to make them all the more ready for the judgment that is going to come. In other words, you are bent on this way of life. You will continue in this way. And this is the fruit of that way of life. You are reaping what you sow. If you harden your heart, if you refuse to repent, if you maintain your anti-God state of mind and life, then this is the culmination. And again, it's horrific. And it's meant to to be horrific. You know, rebellion is a mystery. I mean, it really is. And not just when I see it here in the scripture, when I see it in my own life, right? When I'm rebellious, when I am stubborn, when I am full of pride or um, get really angry at someone and refuse to let it go, right? It's amazing how I can hold on to bitterness sometimes and how we remember those things. And instead of forgiving someone, we bring it up again and again. And it's a strange thing. And it's mysterious, too, how God deals with it. But we're constantly being warned about the effects of our actions. If we don't think about them, we might continue in them. If we don't Deal with them, they will run their course. And we all reap what we sow. And so there is constantly that warning throughout Scripture. There is no grandfather in heaven who no longer cares, who just like, oh, it's okay, you know, have another piece of candy. Your parents will deal with the energy later, right? God isn't that. God is someone who cares enough to discipline, who cares enough to not allow consequences or behaviors to go without consequences, to go unchecked. And if we don't think about that, then we will find ourselves given to those mistakes and that rebellion and find ourselves in some dark places. I mean, every now and then, there is a revealing of my heart, probably more than than I would like, um, that just shows me that, boy, there's some stuff in there that you really need to deal with. There's some things that you got going on that you better not let go and ignore. Otherwise your blindness to them will allow them to grow. And it's an important wake-up call, I think, to recognize that these things are meant to sound horrific because that's what a life that continues to move in a way apart from God or away from God becomes, right? And we have seen terrible things in our own life. In our own time in the news and things. We have seen those monsters, those aliens, and whether these locusts were meant to represent the thundering echo of chariots or helicopters or any other man made thing that causes destruction designed to kill and destroy, made to strike terror in the hearts of humanity, um, for the sake of human power, where do those things come from? Why do we need to find more efficient ways to destroy people? You know, you watch some of the documentaries on the wars and the nerve gas and the things that are happening and you think, oh man, this is terrible. Why would we invent such things? What is the drive behind these weapons of mass destruction except for power and more power? And and so I think the image here is not specific to just one thing. I think it is trying to capture where darkness and evil and all this comes from. And I think it really stems from, again, the images in Egypt and the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the plagues that are launched out against those things so that they would repent, but seeing an unrepented heart and how it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, Maybe these things, like the locusts in John's vision, come from the bottomless pit of humanity when we are opposed to God. Um, under that direction of the destroyer, you know, again, it's a mystery. Where does it come from? It seems to have a spiritual origin, right? From the garden and the serpent to the things that we see here, there seems to be a spirit of evil that man yields himself to whenever he does not bear the image of God. We bear another image. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, The five months for which the torture is to last probably reflects... On uh, John being aware that that's the normal life cycle of a locust, and so I'm guessing that that's the idea here. Locust—it's it, meant for a season, and the five months I'm guessing is that. Again, don't know for sure, but that's kind of what we're guessing. It seems though the underlining point is that their work here, though horrible, is limited, right? Throughout the vision, John wants his readers to know that God and the Lamb remain sovereign. Even though for evil to be finally conquered, it has to be allowed to come out into the open and, in a sense, do its worst. And so that's kind of what we see happening here. It just keeps culminating. And these trumpets now are following the seals. And we've got a few more to go. Verse 13 says the sixth angel sounded his trumpet and i heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before god it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. The breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The head of the horses resembled the head of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands they did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold silver bronze stole and stone and wood idols that cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders their magic arts their sexual immorality or their thefts again remember there's a lot of pulling from the old testament to help us identify with some of the things. Definitely that's what we see here in the last few verses where it's talking about the uh, idols that don't see or hear or walk. Um, You know, you carve an idol out of wood and you pray to it, but it doesn't see, it doesn't speak, it doesn't, you know, do any of these things. And really the idolatry is going to be at the heart of what he's talking about here. And so here we see... This unleashing by these angels, uh, this army of horses that are the number of 10,000, and then it's double that, right? Uh, The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, heard the number. And then he sees the image. When Rome swept through the Middle East, and this would be about 60 years before Christ, Their extent reached up the Euphrates and that kind of was an area that became their border. I believe that that's what John is referring to is the Roman Empire and their reach and their power and their extent. And so when John sees in his vision the four angels tied up by the great river Euphrates ready to be released and to lead their massive armies into battle – Every from, everyone from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond that knew what it meant. It, it, it's the worst political nightmare, right, military nightmare that could imagine. Uh, uh, an enemy coming that is stronger than you, that is going to wipe you out. And the fact that this vision follows immediately the horrible sight of the torturing locust reminds us again, if we needed it, you know that these are symbolic visions they're they 're symbols that are meant to provoke our minds to draw us into a thought process and see how horrific this image is and, and now they 're being presented one on top of the other almost of an escalating terror, right? Terror and torture, all of this is to be unleashed so that at this point, humans might repent. That's what it says in verses 20 and 21. And so imagine a military army coming to conquer, that the number is greater than you can imagine, that they are fortified, that they are stronger than your ability to resist, and that really is a picture here. And it, like in Egypt, doesn't seem to work. In other words, people don't repent. Pharaoh didn't repent. After all those plagues, you would think, why wouldn't you repent? After all these things, why Wouldn't people repent? All those threats and torture, they didn't do the job. Um, Unlike the locusts, the horsemen from beyond the Euphrates are allowed to kill people. Uh, In verse 18 it says, and still they don't repent. But that's a common enough observation, both in the Old Testament And even in the New Testament, Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about that, how there is an unwillingness uh, for people to understand and see God. Um, For many of the Jewish people, early Christian thinkers, the sequence of thought goes like this. Given the deep-rooted destructive wickedness that comes from not only the individual of the human heart, but then from the systems that are dominated by those human hearts. It seems to just get worse, right? If there is the evil within and that evil then gets more power to control and to organize, it only seems to escalate. What is God supposed to do? How do we deal with the evils of humanity that organize themselves remember the tower of babel babel and god had to disperse them remember the flood and god dispersing and wiping out it's a recurring theme that when humanity strengthens itself in an evil posture that it crumbles on itself, that the evil tends to consume itself. And it's almost as if that's God's way of just dealing with these things. Now there's the judgments of God we see in the Old Testament, but really it, it, it's something that we see taking place. It happened with Rome, right? Rome collapsed. Why? It was They couldn't function. They were so... Indulgent that there was no longer the structure it gave into its indulgences. And it's what happens to humanity. And it's almost as if God's judgment is sewn in to these things as they start to grow and develop. And so we see that again taking place. We simply, you know, as we've seen before, if we were to simply wipe all of creation out, well, that's not a success. That's not what God's intention is. But if we allow people the space to repent and come to their senses to change their lives, um, well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And then God's patient mercy always risks the possibility that people will use that space and make things worse. And I think think that's what we see taking place. The result is that the human system and individuals that continue to rebel will simply make themselves more ready for judgment. It'll just go until finally you say, you know what, that's the best thing is judgment, which will at least in part consist of evil bringing about its own downfall And we're going to see that later on in chapter 16. And so these things kind of collapse on each other as they develop. Now, if the locusts and the fiery riders are symbols, then what are they symbols of? Um, What does John think will be the reality on earth which corresponds to these imaginative and horrific visions? And here we have to be careful because we're speculating. And everyone is. You know, and so I, I'm not dogmatic on any of these things. I'm just taking the things that I've read and I'm sifting through them and I'm kinda saying, Okay, here are some ideas. There there's a whole spectrum of things and, and speculations at this point, right? The idea of the the locusts being helicopters and the horsemen being tanks and this being a futuristic battle that's going to come in the Middle East sometime, to the other that this all just internal, you know, you've got everything in between that's kind of taking place. You know, it's just all spiritual and what's taking place in the hearts and the minds of rebellious humanity. And it's probably a little bit of both of these things. There's probably uh, an accurate representation of Rome and the things that were happening and that has happened with all of human uh, systems that give into the power and do not bear the image of God. Um, And so a possible answer or key to, to these things is to remember John is writing these visions to help the churches at that time understand what they have to deal with, right? You're going to face this persecution. And so he's warning them about the persecution that is coming. He's already warned them in the visions of the first four and seven seals about humans uh, made disasters which are coming on the earth. And now with the seven trumpets, it seems that there's even more than just the human disasters. There's, you know, we've talked about uh, the different plagues that are on the earth with earthquakes and uh, natural disasters and all these things. Um, And again, the connection to Egypt and all these things happening so that humanity will recognize their error, turn to the living God. It seems that John is trying to help the early church see that things are going to get worse Before they get better, how is that showing up? It shows up in the things that man does and how it affects everything. That's what it seems to be doing here, right? Um, The fifth and sixth plagues, again, um, that took place in Egypt will do their work without human intervention. Some of the things just start snowballing. And some of these also do the same thing. It seems like there's just uh, plagues that develop because of what humanity does. And we talked about it last week, I believe it was, and those things. And so we shouldn't think of them, again, chronological, but just these are layered on top of each other. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's this destructive force from different points of views, terrifying armies charging against defenseless people, um, you know, plagues that arise from uh, the poisoning of, you know, water and the environment and all these things, whether it be through uh, the diseases that people spreaded then or through the... uh, chemical agents that are available now. All these things just seem to be intensifying the trauma that is in humanity. So in a sense, the sixth trumpet corresponds to the first seal. The rider on the white horse going off to conquer has become an army the size of a country, basically, right? It is as if John is systematically saying, think of your worst nightmare, now double it. And then imagine them coming true all at once together. That's what it's going to be like for you. Not encouraging, right? Not encouraging. This is God's way of letting evil do its worst so that it may eventually fall under its own weight. Now, We look at this and we just think, oh, God, this is horrific. And I've said this before, especially in the thought process of people um, when they think about end times and the great tribulation. There are people and Christians who have gone through some of the worst things that you can imagine that I, I don't think their situations could be made any worse. Seeing your family brutalized, tortured. Seeing the things that you love, the people you love, um, go through horrific things. Then having to go through those same things yourself. what Christians have gone through that. People have gone through this. Throughout our history... People are going through these things right now. You know, we have millions and millions of people who are refugees, who are starving to death, who are subject to an environment that is chaotic, that is no government, no rule, and it is survival of the fittest with thousands upon thousands of people trying to survive with nothing. And and it's unimaginable, right? We've had famine and disease all over our world that has taken place. And again, we've talked about this simply because countries are trying to extinguish a race of people, right? All these things that we're looking at, they've happened and are happening. It's not like, oh, in the future, it's going to be bad. No, it already is bad. It already has been bad, right? We don't have to go into graphic detail of the terrible things that humanity has done. We can imagine because we know that they've happened. And yet, the church is still here. And yet, those who have followed Christ have carried on a legacy that has endured even the worst of these things and the things that are continuing to happen. And so I just have to throw that out there because this picture that is just horrific and horrific, it's meant to make us shudder because there are things happening today that should make us shudder. We just don't usually think about them, right? Especially here in our country and in our way of living. These things are so far removed, we see them maybe on a TV screen, and that's only if we choose to watch it over something else we can watch. Right? People are watching less and less news because we can pick and choose what we want to watch instead. And, and anyway, I'll go. I'm not going to get sidetracked there. The final verses in chapter 9 indicate that the shape of John's understanding of the basic human situation. At his time, it was believed that human evil emerged from idolatry. Right? You became like what you worshiped. And so, if you worship, if you worship what is not God, you become something other than the image bearing human being you were created to be. And so they were given into these things, worshiping less than what is true, and so they become less than human in how they live. Remember verses 20 and 21, they did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Worship idols, blind, deaf, lifeless things, and you become blind, deaf, and lifeless yourself. Right. Murder, magic, fornication, and theft, they're all forms of blindness, deafness, and and deadliness, trying to get the quick fix for fun, The, the success and the gain, the power of pleasure, forfeiting what it means to be human, caring for others and using others for your own gain. Right? This pursuit of something that is not true, you start living a lie. Repentance is more than just being sorry for something wrong that you did. It's a radical change. It's replacing the idol with a living God. It is changing the image that you will now live in. Instead of living your life in an image of something that is dead, you're now living in the image of the God who is life. And it's a gut-wrenching process, right? It's something that turns your life around. It's something that shakes your life up. It is something that forces you to... Make decisions that you would not otherwise make i 'm reading a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it 's talking about community and and the intro to the book is talking about the life that he lived, how he could have escaped Nazi Germany, but he chose to go back so that he could be of benefit to the church that was there in Germany and resist. The evil that was showing up in the Third Reich and in Hitler, and he was killed because of it. Right? You see, that's what the image of God looks like. It shows up and gives itself for something other than itself. And God longs for that kind of repentance, right? And and I mean, it doesn't mean you have to go somewhere and die. But it's a self-sacrifice. It is being like Christ. It is giving our lives for others, loving others more than ourselves, right? This is turning away from the idols which promise delight, power, but provide death. God longs for that kind of repentance, right? He He will do anything, it seems, to coax it out of those who are rebellious, who still have his image, but are refusing to live according to it. And six trumpets later, they still haven't turned, right? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? Without... God's grace there's one more trumpet but we have to wait and we'll deal with that trumpet next week well that's the best I can do with chapter 9 any thoughts or questions those who belong to God it's not a physical Mark again he's yeah 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 Well, again, 666 is a figurative, it's pointing to something, we'll get to it. But it's, I mean, it's not a literal mark on your hand or your forehead. Yeah, no, it's not a literal mark, it's something, it's something that has taken place, you are marked, you are sealed with the, remember we talked about those who are sealed, Um, Paul talks about those who are sealed with the spirit it is the, you know, down payment um, for those who belong to God. So that's what it means to be marked, belonging to God, sealed by Him with His Spirit. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's such a different way of, you know, I'm like, okay, this means this, this means this, this means this. It's just like He's painting, and that's why I started off with the aliens, you know, because. It's, I just remember that. Oh my gosh, what's going on here? It's this horrific thing that's happening, and I think John is trying to paint that image. Like, oh my gosh, something's about to fall. We don't know what it is. It's just getting bad, and it's going to get worse. You know, and there's that suspense that's there that's meant to be there. But again, and I, I you know, I, I threw in just the idea of, but Christianity and Christ's followers are still here. Because I didn't want to leave us just like, oh, man, it's just getting bad. And I didn't want us to think that the future is going to be something that is so bleak and dark that why should we have children, right? Because you remember those kinds of things, right? Oh, no, I don't want to raise children in this world. And it's like, well, you know, the world can get better. Enjoying going through the book, it's kind of losing its mystical edge. You know, I'm becoming something that I can kind of wrap my hands around, you know, not fully my mind around it, but to kind of get my hands on it and say, okay, I see something going on here. But, oh yeah, Hitler, you know, and in a sense it is, right? In a sense it keeps repeating. It's the evils of man. It's those things, it's nothing, you know, that hasn't been dealt with and expressed in some ways, so. let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for these words, and even though they are uh, terrifying and horrific and awful, Lord, we see that you have purpose, that there's not just evil because there is no purpose. There is evil because there is rebellion against you against life, against love, against all the things that Christ has demonstrated and given example of. And Father, that is the progression if we will not take the image that you give us, we will take an image that is other than you and it is not good. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by these words and that we would understand that you are wanting to bring about repentance and Father, may we sense and see that, but may we also see how that it takes place, that it, it's not going to happen by plagues or wars or force. Lord, that is not how you bring about repentance. It is your goodness that brings about repentance. And may we see that unfold even in the chapters to come. We do thank you for again this time.